You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Welcome to the annual MovieForms.com podcast. My name's Chris Boyer, and I'm here with longtime users Holden Pike and Mark French to talk about this year's Oscar ceremony. Uh, let's jump right in. Okay, the first category I was hoping to discuss was uh, Best Original Screenplay. And I know you guys both know, or at least we've said in, in past years, that it's kind of the fun category, right? It's the one where they take a few chances, they do something a little bit different? Uh, they can, yeah. They... Yeah, like I mean, that's where you get the being John Malkoviches, for example. The things they that are a little right. too far uh, too far out to, to nominate for anything serious, even though maybe they deserve it. But I was looking at the, uh, the nominees this year, and I don't really see anything like that. I mean, maybe Django Unchained, a little bit. Yeah, Django and you know Moonrise Kingdom um, are a little quirkier than the the uh, they nominate for picture, but but not unusual for for this category to to see those, especially for I mean Wes Anderson and I mean Tarantino, the darling to the Academy, and Wes Anderson has been nominated before, so it's not a huge surprise that they're there. Yeah, Anderson was nominated for the Royal Tenenbaums. Tarantino's been nominated before. Um, I haven't seen Flight yet, um, but. I'm just looking at them, and I just I don't see anything too quirky, too out there, which I, I always think, okay, if we're going to get something fun, if we're going to get a surprise, it's probably going to be here. I don't know. Maybe just it wasn't that kind of year. Yeah, I don't know how many of those kinds of films were around this year. It's hard, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, more getting in was, you know, a little bit of a surprise. That, uh, I mean, they've been doing that more in recent years, getting some of the foreign, uh, foreign language films cracking in the screenwriting competition and uh Haneke is just a great filmmaker. I mean he's a polarizing filmmaker, but hard to hard to say he's not a great filmmaker. Um and uh yeah, so I mean that was a little bit of a surprise, but not a huge surprise. I mean a good surprise. Surprise in a good way that it that it made it. Yeah, maybe it's just me, but I feel like if there was one category other than Best Picture that I'd want to be expanded to more nominees, it'd probably be this, because I think you'd get some some really interesting choices if you had you know, uh, the potential to get up to nine or ten in there. Right. I, I'll, I'll tell you the truth, though. I'm getting sick. Uh, I mean, I realized uh, the Academy had a stretch there where they were nominating ten films a year back in the 30s, but, but in 40s. But uh, I'm almost getting sick of anything with over five nominees. <laughs> I'm looking at the films. I'm going, I mean, I'm, first of all, I'm trying to remember them. <laughs> and uh, And that's difficult enough. And second of all, I'm just saying to myself, well, I mean... You want to nominate good films, but I think five is enough. Yeah, it starts to feel like they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit, right? I mean, there's a couple films, and we'll get to it when we get to Best Picture for sure, but there's a couple on there that I think are probably good films, but not necessarily great ones. Well, I'll admit, I, like, I haven't seen so many this year, so I don't know if, I, if I'm just babbling from past times. But, I mean, some years I think there are more than five really, really good films, and, of course, they aren't nominated. Right. But... I don't know what you know. I don't know about this year. It, it seems like uh, they picked some and they didn't pick others, and it's just too many. Well, that's kind of the think, argument think, for it, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think part of the reaction was I'm kind of in the public uh, 
so the reaction to the public was just, you know, some, there are so many that seem to get snubbed every year, either the big popular blockbuster or, or the, you know, whatever. Something that I think they were trying to make room that way a little more. And just in a, you know, but I really has to do with just the business of it. I mean, it's purely that. If <laughs> you get you get four or five more, they get to have an extra long theater run, get to put the sticker on their DVD and Blu-ray box and all that stuff. And it's just, it's purely just a business thing. It has nothing to do, I mean, I think they, they reacted a bit to people, you know, why did the Dark Knight get nominated, all that kind of stuff. But they don't really care about that. They care about it. They care about the money part of it, the business part of it. That's what it's about. I mean, that sounds like Oscar inflation to me, which means that if they keep doing this, eventually people are going to care less a lot about those stickers, or at least they should right. in theory. Um, but what I, what's interesting is what, what Mark brought up, where he said some, some years, obviously, there's more than five that deserve it. And it seems to me that that's sort of the argument uh, for, for having these fluctuating standards, is that some years you need to be able to accommodate a better crop, and what year something came out in is a pretty arbitrary standard. Um, it's a sensible one, but it's still arbitrary. So the, a lot of these categories should be able to expand uh, to accommodate that. But on the other hand, if you're going to do that, they really ought to be able to contract, too, kind of like the animated right. film category, where sometimes there's only two or three, although no one would stand for that, right? And I, we talked about this a bit last year, but I mean, it really does come to, they could nominate 25 films, but it's still going to come down to there's really one or two that have a shot every year, that are, and every once in a while there's a surprise, but it's never going to be, I mean, no matter how many films, no matter how many actors you nominate, it's always going to come down to, usually there's a favorite and, and, a, and a second favorite, and then everything else is just there to take up space, and it's great to have the prestige, and it's great to see, oh, you made the cut, and you got the nomination, but I mean, realistically, five is pretty pretty good number because it's only going to be one or two who are really competing for it anyway. Yeah, although i got to say, I think some of these reforms are probably inevitable. I mean, pretty much all award shows are you know, seeing drop-offs in ratings and interest, and the Oscars has been a little more immune to that than most because it's pretty much the big daddy of them all. But if it keeps happening, I have to imagine they're going to do their version of you know, interleague play where they me mess with a few things uh, just to sort of see what happens and get people's attention more. So it's not hard to imagine that some of this stuff... Uh, might become reality at some point. Yeah, I, I, I don't ever see them um, kind of breaking up the uh, the genre categories like the Golden Globes have done a bit, and I think that's too much because that would that would really screw with the um, kind of the history of you know who's won who's been best actor and now be who's won best actor comedy and who's won best actor action and all that kind of stuff. So they'll never go quite that route, but they might expand just to get more butts in the seats and more more movie stars in the front row. I certainly agree that they're probably not going to do that, but uh, maybe the version of doing that is just to start taking comedies a little more seriously. That's that's a drum, you know, every movie fan has been banging forever. <laughs> it's just, it's just one, ridiculous. But. One one thing I'll, I'll say that uh, is also bothering me, although it's a little bit shorter this year, is I just think the award season is too long. I just wish they would have less... Uh, I know they have to have a time when they nominate them and then people can see them and then they can vote. Uh, this year was it was only about a month, but yeah, guys, I don't know. It, the, I had the opposite it, reaction. I think it's getting way too short. I kind of hate oh, yeah? to come up in the end of February now. I, I, I like the I, I like kind of two months of thinking about it and talking about it. Debate. I don't like this kind of boom boom. Well, there's so many award shows and they're and they're trying to scratch them all together and they don't want to you know have one outshine the other. But uh, yeah, I mean for me. It's probably my physical problem. <laughs> what? I just think? notice time time a lot more acutely now. <laughs> right. I actually the only thing I resent is how many of them are still in theaters because I had to go on a bit of a crash course to have much to say about any of the favorites. Right. Normally by now, like last year for example, there were quite a few on DVD, and I think I think that actually more than putting a Dark Knight 
uh, type film um, among the nominees. That's probably going to be one of the bigger drivers, I was thinking, that people don't talk about, of uh, whether or not people actually watch and take an interest in the show. I mean, if there's four or five, you know, of the eight or nine nominees for Best Picture uh, that people haven't really had a chance to go out and rent yet, um, they're much less likely to have seen them, have an opinion about them, or or root for them. Um, so I kind of wonder. I know that everyone likes to kind of backload their their Oscar bait films at the end of the year, but the side effect of that is that a lot of people haven't had a chance to see them yet because a lot of people would rather rent. And that's part of the reason why they you know they do it so that now it forces you to go see in the theater uh, rather than wait for DVD. Yeah, I think that's counterproductive though. I think if they if they have a bigger gap there, uh, more people might take an interest. But um. Anyway, uh, on to Best Adapted Screenplay. I don't really know if there's a whole lot to say here. The only thing that struck me uh, was Beasts of the Southern Wild, which I saw literally two days ago, and it was a lovely film. But maybe I'm way off base here. I don't really think the writing was what made that film. So I was a little surprised. I know I understand it's adapted from a one-act uh, a one-act play, apparently. And I can't tell if that is uh, more or less impressive, because there probably wasn't a whole lot there to adapt. So they had a lot of creative freedom, and maybe it's, you know, a little closer to an original screenplay in all the ways that matter. What do you think? Is this is this just kind of a nod to the film as a whole, or do you really think the writing was doing something subtle and difficult that maybe I missed? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, as far as, the, you know, in all the category, all the major categories, the um, each branch, you know, Nominate. So these other screenwriters were nominating the, the screenplays. So I mean, how many of them even in Hollywood actually picked up *Beasts of the Southern Wild* and read it? How many screenwriters who were nominating actually read the script? I mean, probably almost nobody. Um, but you could say that for every year and every script, it just doesn't. That's just not how it works. So I mean, every movie is kind of, <laughs> unless it's something very, you know, speech heavy, something you know that has a lot of words to it and it's kind of obviously written a kind of a mammoth style where it's like very dependent on, on the words. It's always kind of how the film turned out rather than how it's written. And I think very few people ever go back and actually look at the script. Yeah, and you wonder how much stage, direct, stage direction was in it because that, that the whole movie was in the execution, if you ask me. Right. Well, and, when, and when the director is also the screenwriter, he's the co-screenwriter of the, of the play, um, you know, that you're getting his vision as, so I mean, that kind of counts, I think, as the director, his vision as the screenplayer and just as the author of the film in general. If you look at the uh, two screenplay categories with the 10 nominations between them. Eight of them are from Best Pictures hmm. nominations. Right. All five of them in Adapted are from Best Picture nominations. So there is a tendency in, in the screenplay uh, to, you know, honor things that you think are the best, uh, film and screenplay. So I don't, I'm not really surprised that Beast of the Southern Wild is in there. But um, I'm probably going off base a little bit here, but I think Beasts of the Southern Wild kind of got in uh, a little bit uh, from the Tree of Life last year because the Tree of Life didn't get nominated for all that many awards, really. And uh, somehow the people that liked the uh, Tree of Life and they liked uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild by some unknown, basically. Right. And uh, they said, wow, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, Holden, what do you think? Why <laughs> why, why is Beasts of the Southern Wild so much more Oscar represented than, say, Tree of Life? Well, Tree of Life did get picture and director. I mean, it did get some big awards, uh, nominations. It didn't win much but it, as far as Oscars, but it did get some of the big, big nominations. Why? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Well, I wonder if Malick's reputation had something to do with it. Everyone talks so much about how he's a visual director, and maybe, therefore, the unstated implication is that's all he is. It's all visuals, and so maybe in the back of their mind some, somewhere, it's just sort of assumed that the writing isn't what he's about. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I think... I, 
I like Beast of the Summer. I think it's great that it got all these nominations. I mean, it was really a bit of a surprise. I mean, it did well at Con. It did well, you know, kind of on the independent circuit and Sundance and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's not a surprise in that sense. But, I mean, Oscar doesn't often go for the stuff that Con does. I mean, it doesn't happen a lot. I mean, the, God, all five of its nominations were big ones. Yeah, yeah. Best actors, for God's sake. I mean that was that was one of the big surprises of the day, and uh, to me, I mean, to have, I I like the movie. I don't know if I'd put it as one of the you know two or three best movies of the year, but I I like the movie, and I think it's great that it has all the success and keeps uh, generating talk and awards. Oh, it's great. I'm not trying to slam it, but I'm no, no, just I'm, trying I'm, to figure out the, Who knows? the difference between uh, <laughs> this year and last year. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right, and I'm actually. Uh... I'm kind of pleased that you guys actually seem to have the same sort of opinion of it uh, as I do, which is that, yeah, it's a very good film, but I, I gotta wonder if maybe that surprise aspect you talked about, Holden, is kind of one of the reasons it's here. Sure, I mean, it's, and it's, a, it's his first film, it's his first feature, I mean, that's, that's, you know, part of all that kind of goes into the praise of the film, too, it's not, it was this guy, you know, he's young, and it's his first film. Right, I mean, if this it's were... So, it's, it's so unique in a lot of ways, it's, it's very distinctive film. Uh, yeah, it's very unique, but... It, it's it's interesting that it's adapted screenplay. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it technically an adapted screenplay, but like I said, I don't know how adapted it really was. It seems like they probably got to run free a little there. Right, they're just they're they're very um they're very careful with it. If it's if it's if it's based on other, I think for legal reasons, just I mean, just uh, <laughs> the whole industry is very conscious of that kind of thing. So it just filters to the Oscar that if it's based in any way, shape, or form on anything that's come before, they make sure to label it that way. Yeah, I feel like it's safe to say that if they have a choice between some director that's been around a while, some, you know, costume drama, some historical epic, and something kind of fresh and new and surprising, they're going to want to try to bring the new people in there when they can. All else being equal, of course. I'm not saying it doesn't deserve it, but yeah. it feels like if this were by, if this were the fourth film by this little troupe here, right. um, maybe they wouldn't be so enamored with it. Or if this was, you know, Tim Burton with the same script, I mean, it would be Tim Burtonized, but I mean, if it was a director with that kind of reputation and brand that has been around, I don't know that it would have been as praised. Yeah, and the striped socks would have looked wildly out of place in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. sure would. Before we move along, though, what did we think of the, uh, who's going to win this category? Oh, yeah, I and guess the, we should, the other we should occasionally talk category. about that, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I tend to, I'm, I'm very boring about this. I don't, I usually just look at betting markets and things like that and try to figure it out. Um... Well, I mean, if you ask me, it, it probably looks like Zero Dark Thirty in the original category, um, just because none of the other big, um, as uh, Mark pointed out, um, all five of the adapted screenplay uh, choices are uh, not just Best Picture nominees, but pretty much all the favorites are over there, you know, Argo and Lincoln. Um, yeah, I would, think, I would think Zero Dark Thirty has to be the favorite uh, for, uh, for original, and Mark Bowl won, you know, a couple years ago for Hurt Locker, and probably won again for this, and, you know, other ones, Moonrise, Flight, Django, Amor, I mean... Any one of them could win, and Tarantino's won before for Pulp Fiction, and you know it, it could happen. And he, you know they love Quentin, and he give you know a funny speech, I'm sure. But it'll probably go to Zero Dark Thirty, which is you know. I I, I think movie. that's a favorite too, and but I'm gonna throw out Dark Horse uh, for a more. I don't know. Yeah. That's you know this is what's funny about the exp expanded category. They nominated a more, and they nominate uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, and right. I'm sure a lot of people are glad they did. Right. But that, those aren't, when you say expand the category to get it in the blockbusters and all that, those two films certainly aren't blockbusters. No, no. 
That's true. Uh, and, and while I appreciate what Mark Ball does, and he's a very good writer, you got to wonder if at some point he's got to learn a new trick or two. I mean, this is, yeah. as you point out, he did the Hurt Locker, and again, very impressive work. But um, it's... I think that was part of what hurt uh, hurt Zero Dark Thirty overall. And I mean, it didn't kind of do as well as people thought it might. It got some big nominations and maybe won a couple awards, but I think it was expected to do even better than it than it did. And I think part of that was just as good as the movie is, it feels a little bit like, yeah, we, we saw this one. You know, I think it was also getting a, a bit of a uh, backlash because of the complaints about the torture. Yes, yes, I did yeah, want to... Had, yeah, right, it had that issue. It had some uh, political, both sides of the political stream having issues with it and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes Oscar kind of champions those and says, okay, well, we'll take up that site. And sometimes they, they tend to shy away. And I think this time they shied away. Yeah, I was going to bring that up later, but let's just get into it now real quick. Um, I was wondering how much you guys think that's going to hurt it, and as, as Holden says, it really can go either way. The only other time in recent years I can think of that this was a big issue was probably with Brokeback Mountain, where a lot of people speculated that you know it lost a crash for those reasons, because people were shying away from the controversy. But I guess deep down, we really don't know, and it is a closed ballot, too, so I, I guess I'm a little yeah, skeptical that think, they shy away we'll from We'll talk things. about when we get there, but I don't think it's, you know, favored. I wouldn't say it's it's the favorite to win Best Picture. You know, I'd, I'd say it's you know in the mix of that that second tier of things that you know if it wouldn't wouldn't be a total surprise. But I don't think it's a favorite anyway. Um, in Best Adapted Screenplay, that's actually that ties into what I was going to talk about there, which is that um, even though and we'll get to this in Best Picture, even though Argo seems to be pulling away from the pack a little bit here. I'm not seeing any movement on the betting sites uh, against Lincoln for Best Adapted Screenplay. That still seems to be the heavy favorite. And I, I can't really figure it out because I, we'll, we'll hit this on a bunch of other categories too, but it looks like Argo's going to be a real big exception here in that it's not necessarily going to win a lot of other awards even if it takes Best Picture, which is well, odd. I mean, Tony Kushner is, you know, a Pulitzer Prize winner, and the you know, Academy likes to associate themselves with, with that level of writer. Uh, I've heard of that. I've heard of writer. it. So, I mean, that, and it's a, it's a, you know, complex historical sweeping thing and he pulled it all together pretty well yeah but he had 15 years given how long spielberg's been talking about this <laughs> right right um so i mean that's kind of the prestige pick there is tony kushner and lincoln and it could go to argo i mean it could go to silver linings play that could go to oh, i think just about all of those except beef and seven wild really have a, a legitimate shot but i would say lincoln's got to be the favorite probably if i was a betting person that's that's the way i'd go with it but, I mean, it could be, you know, Argo real close, though. So. Yep, yep. Well, I'll, how about this? I'll go out on a limb and say that, well, not really a limb, but if Argo does happen to win a Best Adapted Screenplay, I think we can probably just pencil it in for Best Picture, because it looks like the favorite to win Best Picture, oh, even if do it does win right screenplay. now. Well, go ahead and do that. In past years, they've done this kind of thing where they'll, they'll also kind of give the also-ran the screenplay, things like the social network and uh, sideways, you know, things like that, that screenplays that uh, were good and that had a shot at Best Picture, but, you know, okay, I'm not going to look for, it better, for yeah. Best Picture. Yeah, consolation here, prize. The consolation, Best Screenplay. So, I mean, that could happen. So if Argo wins, it doesn't necessarily mean, or if Lincoln wins, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that that one is therefore the favorite to win Best Picture. It could still, it could still split very, very easily. Now, I want to point out something, unless you guys have anything more to say about that category, I was going to move on to Best Supporting Actor. And this one's kind of fun to me, because there's nobody new here. These are all yeah. old, famous actors. Um, in fact, I added it up, and uh, between them, first of all, they're all Oscar winners. Alan yep. Arkin, Tommy Lee Jones. All winners, yep. yeah. Christoph Waltz, uh, Robert De Niro, heard of him, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Between them, they are 314 years old. They've been acting for 180 years. They have 21 nominations and six Oscars. 
Um, and, you know, good performances, although I gotta say, I don't know why Arkin's there. Um, just, you know, it sounds a little harsh, but he, he's kind of playing Alan Arkin again. And while it, he stepped outside his comfort zone a little with Little Miss Sunshine, I thought he was pretty much just Alan Arkin in Argo. Yeah, I mean, Alan Arkin's great. I mean, I've been an Alan Arkin fan forever. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's, it's a, a great performance. I think it's a, yeah, I think it's an Alan Arkin performance, an Alan Arkin role, and he nails it doing his Alan Arkin thing. But I, I, since he's already won, and Little Miss Sunshine was kind of more interesting character, I wouldn't say he's got much of a chance to win here. Yeah, and Alan Arkin and Argo's a tongue twister anyway. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to say. Um, (laughs) Well, I was wondering, there are only a couple other issues with this, but I, I think this is actually one of the more interesting categories, because... Is nominating the old guard like this what you do when there's really nothing else jumping out at you? I mean, these are all safe picks from guys who've been there before. And again, usually there's some newcomer, there's someone a little, or, or someone who's been around for a long time who's never been nominated. I kind of wonder if these are default choices, especially when you look at Tommy Lee Jones, who I think they said has something like nine minutes of screen time or something like that in Lincoln. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, that, to me, Tommy Lee Jones is the one. I mean, there were Lincoln was so full. I mean, there could have been lots of performances pulled out of there for supporting actors. David Strathairn, uh, who's also been nominated before Hal Holbrook and John Hawks, uh, even James Spader. And everyone kind of had a little bit to do and got kind of a little highlight and, and moved on to the next chapter of what was going on. But uh, it's hard to say why Tommy Lee Jones, except that he was just, you know, beloved. And um, this was his fourth nomination. He's won once before. He's just, uh, he's Tommy Lee Jones, you know. I mean, it's like an ensemble. It's almost like an ensemble nomination because they don't really have one. He's just sort of representative of Lincoln. Right. And there were, you know, there were years like in the 70s, like I think in Godfather Part Two had three of the five nominees were from, from Godfather Part Two. So, I mean, it, they've done that before, but they, this year they picked one. And, it was and Godfather. Two. Right. For Godfather and Godfather Part Two were just full <laughs> of nominations. And you don't see that too much anymore. You get kind of double nominees. I don't think there's been a triple nominee, I mean, in a category, one of the acting categories in a long time. Yeah, and that's maybe they've gotten a little more strategic then, because everyone seems to think that Jones is the overwhelming favorite, and I wonder if that's kind of... Be, it's almost like they all got together and decided, well, if you can't pick anyone from Lincoln to vote for, just pick Tommy Lee Jones. We'll right. all do that, and and he'll walk away with it. This one, to me, is pretty wide open, except for Arkin. I think uh, all four of the guys have legitimate shots. I think I De Niro, think De Niro's coming on strong. I mean, I would, I'd probably vote for De Niro, I mean, myself, if I have vote, which they still don't let me vote, bastard. But, um... um yeah, why don't they do that? I really think that you ought to be able to just dump a, uh, dump a pile of your movie ticket stubs in front of them and just say, give me a vote, man. Come on. I mean, I thought Christoph Waltz of those five, I mean, he's practically, that was one of those roles. He was, he was really the co-lead. It wasn't really a supporting role, but that's one of those things. The vagaries of the categories, they always do that. Um, he's probably got the most interesting character of the, of the five, and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman probably has the most complex character, and Alan Arkin had the most kind of basic character, but... Uh, it's hard to, it's, so, so Holden, I don't, I don't know who, who else uh, should have been nominated or could have. Yeah, I mean, uh, DiCaprio and Sam Jackson from Django Unchained with Christoph Waltz. I mean, they were all excellent in that movie. I don't know if you guys saw that movie, but it's a lot of fun and they have fun doing it. Um, Cloud Atlas was a mess. I didn't like it very much, but Jim Broadbent was who he won for Iris. I think people forget he's an Oscar winner. Um, he was the best part of that movie to me. Was yeah, wasn't he nominated Iris. twice that year? Also for Moulin Rouge, I think it was. Uh, no, he just just for Iris. That was okay, my mistake. But it was one of those kind of spillover. Yeah, for yeah that might have been why he won this year. Um, uh, Gandolfini and Killing Them Softly, even though nobody saw it, was was really strong. William H Macy in the sessions, he was really great in that. He's you know, kind of doing a William H Macy thing, but great. Moonrise Kingdom had, I mean, Bruce Willis, Bill Murray, Edward Norton, any three of those to me. Yeah. Could have been, Got nominated. Would you call any of those snubs? Uh, yeah, you know, it's hard to say. 
You don't sound enamored enough with any of them to to to, to use the word. Yeah, I love though. I love Moonrise Kingdom. I just hate that that movie didn't get more attention. But I mean, that's just a personal thing. I, it's hard to say. Um, McConaughey for Magic Mike. I think it was a, a legitimate bit of happened. Um, that would have been the crazy one. That would have been the that would have been the Melissa McCarthy choice, I guess. Yeah, and he was also in. And he had a good year. He was also in, you know, Killer Joe and Bernie and the Paperboy. He had he had a really strong year, and that was, you know, that was very Matthew McConaughey role. <laughs> Obviously, took his shirt off a lot. I was just gonna say, from no shirt to buttoned up shirt, he's trying to get right. respectable. But uh, yeah, I think uh, he he was a little bit of a snub. I mean, I, if he was there instead of Tommy Lee Jones, it wouldn't have bothered me at all. Or Alan Arkin, I've been okay with me. But um, you realize that I now have on a recording you saying that you think Matthew McConaughey should have been nominated ahead of Tommy Lee Jones. And for these <laughs> well, just for yeah, variety and surprising. No, I know, I know. But I'm just saying and things like that. You know, I know. I, I at know, least but, but I don't want to put words in the whole mouth. I can say <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I'm cool with that. I'm just. It always. This happens now and then. Like when Monique was nominated, I think, boy, I remember five years ago. You know, the, the the turns that a career can take. Even Halle Berry, she was on, what, BAPS, you know, 15 years before. I mean, it's 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 weird to think that some of these people were so goofy to begin with, you know, in such, uh, you know, very goofy, you know, kind of lowbrow roles. And then their Oscar winners, it just happens so quickly sometimes. And this is, um, going back to De Niro, this is De Niro's seventh nomination. He won, he won twice, but fairly early in his career for Godfather Part Two and Raging Bull. Hasn't been nominated since Cape Fear. So I think just kind of career recognition. He hasn't won one. He's obviously hasn't done a whole lot in the last, you know, 15 years or so, and it's been award-worthy. But he's done a lot yeah. otherwise, yeah. Right, and he's so respected and did so much for the industry and for, uh, you know, acting profession. For, I mean, he really cemented it in the 70s and 80s. Uh, I could see it easily going to De Niro, um, kind of for his career achievement, and to say, hey, thanks. Thanks for making a decent movie again that we can be proud of and not some piece of junk or, you know, throw-off comedy that nobody gives two shows about. So, um, yeah, I... I'm kind of rooting for De Niro because I, mean, I also we haven't talked about it yet, but I I really like Silver Linings Playbook. I just love that movie, so I'm kind of rooting for it in just about everything. <laughs> the truth. Okay, there's also Best Supporting Actress. I really don't know if there's a whole lot to say about this. Um, Anne and Hathaway category. Yeah. Yes, I was just gonna say <laughs> Anne Hathaway, right? Should we move on or? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is one of those that, I mean, every year there's at least one of the acting categories where it's just a foregone conclusion, and this is the one that it's it's the foregone conclusion. I mean, if she doesn't win, it'll be, I mean, mouths will drop. Right. I mean, she is going to win. She should win. She was, I mean, that song is fantastic, and she did a great job and really committed to it, and I mean, good for her. She really ought to have a speech ready because it's, it seems yeah, yeah. pretty likely. Um, the only her, thing her, her problem now is she's given that speech so many times it's kind of hard, you know, hard for it to be come off as sincere instead of manufactured since she's, you know, been giving the speech for two months now. She's been sweeping the other awards, yeah. Yeah. Um, the only thing that struck me is Helen Hunt, who I thought might have been kidnapped for a few years there. Um, did she? This is where my ignorance is going to show. Did she actively? take some sort of sabbatical from acting. I saw a couple things, a couple credits listed, but she kind of just fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if she's ever really talked about it publicly. I think, she, you know, she got divorced, and I think mm -hmm. she was going through some personal stuff and just kind of decided, you know, to slow down. She did it herself, and she directed a movie. You know, that takes, you know, a year out of your life to direct, um, and, you know, probably took more because it was a small movie, so she had to get it financed and all that kind of stuff. So I think she, and plus, you know, it happens when you're, when to actors when they get older, it, it just sucks, the, the roles, you know, drying up, the, the interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I think she kind of, I just kind of speculated, but I think she probably got sick of playing that game. It, you know, she won the mm -hmm. Oscar uh, and after, uh, was it late, mid-90s there, and, you know, tried doing the movie star thing for a while, but it takes a lot, and if you don't, 
you know, get a few more hits right away, you know, they start Especially going, at around 40, yeah. Yeah, so I think she just kind of, she's 49, I think, now. Yeah, you either become Meryl Streep or a character actor, or right. you just sort of go I mean, away. Meryl Streep is, I mean, we talked about it last year, Meryl Streep is unique that she's, you know, not only been acting this long, but still a movie star at her age is, is unusual for a woman. They don't, that just doesn't happen very often, so... That's part of it. I think she just kind of stopped playing that game. and uh... Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you'd want to use the word sexism or not, but there's clearly, uh, consciously or otherwise, there's clearly, as a man, you can stay a leading man much, much longer. Uh, oh, absolutely. Just, it's, it's, absolutely. I, I, don't, I, I don't feel like it's a conspiracy exactly, but it's just sort of the way it keeps shaking out is that people want to see right. you know pretty young things in the movies. I mean, look and at, we talked about it a little, bit, a little more last year, too, that there just aren't many great scripts written for older women. There aren't central roles for an older woman. Any, I mean, there aren't that many great roles for women, period, of any age. And that's where you have that's to start the, fixing The good it. ones are tend to be for the 20s and 30s, and then when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, it's either a specialized thing, or, but I mean, you know, the greatest screenplay writers and the greatest, you know, the big studio heads are not saying, get me Helen Hunt. Yeah, well, that segues mm. pretty well to Best Actress, because I noticed Jennifer Lawrence is something like 22 years old, and Bradley Cooper's, what, 35, 36? Right. Nobody bats an eye, right? And I, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm assuming there is some sort of romance between them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, she kind of feels like a foregone conclusion here, too. I mean, she, she's 22 years old. She's pretty. She's in The Hunger Games. She was nominated two years ago. And she lost yeah. to Natalie Portman, who won for all those sorts of reasons, because she was young and pretty, and she was pregnant right. at the time. And she was starting to star in bigger films, too. She'd been cast in Thor at that point. She was in Star Wars. So I kind of wonder if Jennifer Lawrence is, you know... She, she was a victim to it before, but now she's this year's Natalie Portman, where too many factors are coming together, and you just sort of have to give it to her. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, you know... I'm sure she was good, don't get me wrong. Right. I oh, know, she's great. Um, you know, and Amy Adams is, is great, and she's great in that movie, but, you know, she's not going to win this year, and kind of, you know, the others are just kind of out of luck. And Sally Field, you know, has been around forever and won twice. We still know. like her. We still really, really like her, though. Really, really do. Yeah. Um, not that much. No one really, 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 really likes her. <laughs> you need at least four reallys to win an Oscar. Three yeah. gets you a nomination. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested. I know both of you guys are pretty enamored with Jessica Chastain, and that's just because you're human beings, and we pretty much all are. And we talked to her about we talked about her a lot last year because she yeah. she had a Take Shelter, uh, The Tree of Life, and The Help, and that was the one she was nominated for. Which is to put to say that's a great year is putting it mildly. And uh, True Life and The Debt and a couple more. That's right, The more. Debt. She had a huge, she just had, I mean, talk about breakout year. She went yeah, but, but three big nominees, too. Right. Uh, and, she, uh, yeah. and this year she's in Lawless and Zero Dark Thirty. It's not really entirely clear if she acts in any bad movies or if she even sleeps for that matter because she seems to keep pretty busy. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. I mean, she's, uh, from what I understand, she wasn't even really acting much, what, six years ago, seven years ago? She's She's new know. to the scene. Yeah, so I mean, it's great for her. And, she, you know, I, if somehow um, Jennifer Lawrence doesn't win, I think it'll be Chastain, but I think it's yeah, pretty pretty safe bet to say Jennifer Lawrence is the favorite. But And Jessica Chastain will be back again. I mean, she's been nominated two years in her now. I wouldn't be surprised if she's back next year or the year after that. Be one of those actresses who's just constantly nominated, and she'll win yeah. eventually. Yeah, it seems like that. Um, and speaking of someone who has time to come back again, there is a nine-year-old, okay, I'm going to screw this name up, hang on, uh, Quavenjane Wallace. I think. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I checked. That's literally 34 points in Scrabble, if you have cool. no bonuses whatsoever. Just the first wow. name. Um, so she's nine years old, and uh, she has, let's say, I don't know, 60 more years to get back here. Yeah. This is right. the fun thing where we all just see her dressed up in a yeah. pretty little dress, and everyone talks about how amazing she is, and, and she absolutely does not win. No, no, no. I mean, it, it was 
great that she got nominated, but I mean... And she was a force of nature in that film, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was fantastic. She's really, I mean, that, that film is really unique and fun and, and interesting, but I mean, without her at the center of it, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, like a Hollywood commercial kid <laughs> in that role. It just, it just wouldn't have, they wouldn't have made the movie. Well, if for one reason, there aren't that many Hollywood commercial kids that are African-American right now. No, that's true, too. And we, I don't know if we said that, but uh, Wallace is, is the youngest ever nominated for Best Actress by, by a few years. Keisha Castle-Hughes back in the... And uh, I think Reva's the oldest. And Reva is the oldest. Which is right. fun, yeah. Uh, for, it was for The Whale Rider, right, wasn't it? Right, Whale Rider was Keisha Castle-Hughes. Whale Rider, right. right. And the same thing, she had no, no chance. I mean, that was a little more, less kind of weird of a movie compared to Beast of the Sun and Wild, but the same kind of thing. And she had, you know, no chance of winning, but it was great that she got nominated and... Uh, I think even more so for Wallace. But another artistic little movie that could that maybe surprised people. Now, Naomi Watts, I don't know what she has to do. She's been around. She's been nominated, what is it, two, three times? Something like that? It's, it's her second. Um, second. 21 Grams is only another nomination. That's right. Year. That's uh, right. Shirley Theron won for Monster. Um, Just you know, the wrong she's year. She's a great actress. And she's getting up there a little bit as far as, you know, Hollywood terms. She's 44. Um, and she, so she's starting to do more independent things and more foreign things. And good for her. Um, I, I don't there's much chance she's going to win this year, but um, great that she got nominated. And I don't think, I, I, that's one of the few movies I haven't seen, and I'm, I'm sure lots of people haven't seen that movie yet, um, which hurts her chances. Yeah, because you talked about this before, and you and Mark both, uh, a lot of people just don't even watch these. The people who yeah. voting, even, mind you. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, there's something like, uh, I think it was, what, they send out ballots to almost 6,000 people, something like maybe two-thirds of them might return them, and it's and there really aren't any rules specifically in most of the categories about what you actually have to watch. No, you, you, know, you don't have to sign an affidavit that you've watched the nominees or watched four of the five or nothing like that. You, you can just vote because, you know, oh yeah, I like her. I, went to, I had lunch with her once. She was very nice to me. You had lunch so, with Naomi Watts? <laughs> so they, I, no, I wish. But no. <laughs> hey, if, an Academy member, you know, if that's how they want to vote, they can vote that way. Nothing can stop you. Um, best actor I find a little bit interesting and I'm very confused about this I'll just lay it on the table I have not seen Lincoln and I'd like to um, but um, I feel like Daniel Day-Lewis made sort of an interesting choice um, apparently and this is there's still a lot of guesswork in this Abraham Lincoln himself didn't have a particularly deep or authoritative voice right um, and Daniel Day-Lewis uh, being very Daniel Day-Lewis-y is going to be uh, he's going to honor history and be very accurate and methodical because that's how he lives his entire life I guess uh, on the other hand, I kind of wonder if this is a, uh, a thing where you should be printing the legend rather than the facts, because I've heard a lot of people say, whose opinions uh, I, I trust and who are not as superficial as this sounds, who just say it's just hard to hard to enjoy it. The, the voice is too high-pitched, it sounds whiny and weird, and, you know, Abraham Lincoln's larger than life, so you got to wonder, you know, do you think it's a wise choice to sort of go for accuracy over kind of the legend, so to speak? Well, I mean, that was his choice. He's an amazing actor. It was Spielberg's choice. I mean, as a director, to, I mean, he didn't correct him, obviously. He didn't, I don't, he didn't hear they had a fight about it. So, I mean, that's, that's the way he came to the set and that's the way they went with it. Uh, who, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, and he's I a mean, huge favorite. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's favorite. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, Raymond Massey played Lincoln. Uh, I don't, I don't think he had a deep voice. Henry Fonda played Lincoln. He didn't either. I don't see that much of a uh, difference. I, I haven't seen the movie, but of course I saw the commercials, so I heard right. heard plenty of his dialogue. Yeah, so, that's what uh, struck me. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing I'll say, and this could be one of those things where I, I favor the guy who I've happened to, who I've seen. You know, if I've seen two uh, two performances, for example, I'm probably going to tend to think one of them should win it just because I've seen it, but. I feel like Joaquin Phoenix is getting a bum rap here uh, because the master is a little, um, a little bit of a letdown. 
Um, it's a good movie, but it's not a great one. And there's just so much missed potential there, at least in my opinion. And I kind of wonder if this is what's hurting Philip Seymour Hoffman, too, because most of the betting markets have him as the runner-up to Tommy Lee Jones, uh, the second most likely to win. And Joaquin Phoenix, they say, has no chance. And I feel like that's kind of a shame, because I think he's pretty phenomenal in it. And I wonder if maybe The Master was, a, if it were a better film, uh, if it were even nominated for Best Picture, for that matter, you know, maybe he'd, uh, maybe he'd be in the mix here, because he really did something tremendous there. Well, I mean, to me, it was a typical Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I mean, I, I admire him, but I don't usually like his movies very much. Paul Thomas I, Anderson? This, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. And this is another one where, I mean, just these amazing magnetic performers, all three of them, I mean, Joaquin and Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman and Amy Adams were just, but especially Joaquin was just, I mean, just a force of nature. Just, I mean, you couldn't take your eyes off him. Yeah. But, I mean, all the characters, as detailed and intense as they are, don't really come off like human beings to me, which is my problem with most mm. of his stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think that hurts it. Just it's Paul Thomas Anderson, and I mean Daniel Day Lewis did win for There Will Be Blood, but that was such kind of a towering, remarkable thing you couldn't take your eyes off. And and Joaquin's is you can't take your eyes off, but in a very quiet way. And so I don't think it has the same kind of histrionics and that it tend. So I, yeah, I think that's I think part of it is just Paul Thomas Anderson, just uh, the style of movie. Yeah, I mean it's just his movies going to keep getting nominations for his actors because they're just he works with great people. And they turn in these just bizarre performances from Mars that you can't stop looking at. But how many of them will win over the years? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he he obviously works with a lot of great people, but he clearly has some sort of some sort of magic formula for getting unbelievable performances out of his actors. I don't know yeah. how exactly. And I hate when people toss around the word brave to describe acting, but uh, if you were going to use it, you'd probably use it for performances like this. He does some weird twisted, yeah. embarrassing, degrading type things, and uh, he doesn't really seem to hesitate at all. You know, I mean, Joaquin, you know, was a punchline, you know, a few years ago at the Oscars from uh, when he was doing that I'm Still There thing when he was yeah. doing it. Yeah, that was weird and degrading and a lot of weird. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it was just it was just method acting. He was getting ready. But to it was entertaining in a, in a way. Yeah. So, so this was kind of a you know a reembrace. I mean, he was this was his third nomination. He was nominated for Gladiator and uh, and Walk the Line. Walk the Line. He lost uh, to Philip Seymour Hoffman and Capote. I mean, he'll keep getting nominated because he's just so good. And even if he only works, you know, once every couple of years, just because. I mean, that's the thing we didn't talk about Daniel Day Lewis. He's made five movies in the last ten years, and this is his third nomination yeah last 10 years i mean he's just he's just he's not know. he's not quite john gazelle but he's getting there with the movies he picks actually joaquin phoenix maybe i this is a little weird to say but i feel like if any actor uh would be the next daniel day lewis it would be him just for the weird choices he makes the the way he picks and chooses his spots and just the kind of enigmatic quality he seems to have throughout his entire life where you really can't tell where the characters end and the man begins sometimes right the thing is, but the thing with Daniel Day-Lewis, and I don't know even how much this, you know, affects how much of a movie star somebody is and how much the Academy embraces them, but Daniel Day-Lewis, although it seems very quiet and private, also seems like a very normal person, like when he does interview shows. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and Walking Phoenix, you know, will never be a normal person. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but I whose interview much, would you rather watch, too? Right, I don't know how much of that, you know, affects, you know, voting and perception, but... Uh, I think it's part of it because you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, goes home to his wife and they live in Italy and sometimes he's a cobbler and sometimes he's whatever he's doing, <laughs> which is all bizarre. But I was going to say, being a cobbler if, is so If you were so sitting next normal. to him on a train, you'd think he was, you know, the nicest guy you ever met. If you were sitting next to Joaquin Phoenix on the train, you'd probably, you know. Change your seat. seat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I guess the other ones, they're just there for the, they're, they're, um, they really don't have a lot, a big chance. Denzel Washington, Hugh Jackman, Bradley Cooper. Denzel Washington, it's, I think it's one of those best performances. Uh, there's no chance he's going to win this year for this, but, but, uh, and he's won twice before, but, um, he's, He's really good in it. I think the movie is a little bit... I mean, it's a very unlikable character, and he did it really well. I mean, he's likable just because he's Denzel Washington. Uh, I think he really committed to it and did a great job. And I think the movie, for me, kind of the uh, conclusion of it is less than satisfying. Mm. Like, the build-up of the, the plane crash is great. A lot, of the, a lot of the stuff in it is very good. Denzel's just amazing all the way through, and the, the ending is kind of a letdown. Not because it needed a happy ending or it just the way it resolves is kind of anticlimactic. And I think that hurt the movie and, and his chances of, of winning. So, yeah, so like with The Master, you got to wonder if some of these performances are really kind of hamstrung by the movie itself, even though technically you're kind of supposed to be considering this in a vacuum. Right. And Bradley Holden really like, yeah, I, I love, <laughs> I love uh, Silver Linings Playbook. I just love that movie. And Cooper, I don't know, you know, what people perception of him is from The Hangover and Alias and whatever else and people sex with my mind. He was very, very good in the movie. Uh, he's got no chance of winning, but he's very, very good. And if he takes more roles like this, he'll be, he'll be back. You mentioned that Denzel Washington has two Oscars. And I think about this a lot. I think about um, the difference between the actor and the actress categories. And as you talked about earlier, um, obviously there aren't as many uh, good roles for older women. Um, and so you get someone like Meryl Streep who just, you know, kills it year after year after year because, you know, I don't want to belittle it because she has maybe less competition in a way. So there's the downside for a lot of uh, female actresses, but I feel like it also um, kind of hurts the, the top tier men in the sense that uh, guys like Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, once they get two, maybe three, it kind of seems like, okay, you're done now. You know, that's, right. we're not, you're going to have to absolutely blow our minds to get well, another here's, one. Here's an interesting, here's an interesting Oscar statistic for, for this year. Daniel Day-Lewis has won twice as Best Actor. There are, I think, eight or nine other people who have won twice as Best Actor. Nobody's ever won three Best Actor awards. Yeah, yeah. And if, if he wins crazy. this year or his next movie, and he's, surely he's going to win at some point, um, he's going to be the first man in all those years to win three. There have been other, wow. uh, Walter Brennan and Jack Nicholson had three each, but they've got supporting, supporting ones in there, not just Best Actor. So, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing, and he is that good. <laughs> he is that yeah, if, any, if anyone could do it, right? Yeah, this is his uh, fifth nomination, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, just about everything he's ever done, he could have been nominated for. He's just, he's just magnetic. And it seems like the difficulty curve really ramps up after one yeah. or two, though. Yeah. Okay, we have a question here from uh, Raul DC 14 and I assume that's not his real name. Uh, he wants to know, and this is sort of related to snubs, which we haven't talked about too much yet, um, which uh, five uh, directors you, each of you would pick, and feel free to list, you know, however many you want, but that, that kind of ties into the snub question. Do, how do you feel about the five that were nominated? I assume Affleck is the, is the one that stands out? Well, especially, I mean, historically, it, that's, <laughs> it's this amazing snub because uh, there's only, before this year, there were only five times that the, the person who won the DGEA Award, Director Guild, or did not also win the Oscar for Best Director. Yeah, that's amazing. Now it's six because Affleck isn't even nominated, so it's definitely not going to happen this year. So that's just, historically, that's just, uh, wow. <laughs> that he didn't get nominated, much less win. So I guess we can surmise, since a lot of the DGA voters are identical to the directors voting for the Oscars, I guess we can just assume that a whole lot of uh, non-directors voting in the Oscar awards just, just didn't see anything special about it, I guess. Skipped right over them. Well, no, the directors nominate... Uh, the yeah. director. So um, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot less in the academy. The DGA, the DGA is made up of not only the film directors that are in the, the uh, Oscar, the uh, Academy, but also you know TV directors, commercial directors, uh, 
all those. So there's there's hundreds more directors in that guild that have never directed a movie and probably never will direct a movie who vote. And why there was this big discrepancy where there was not only um, Affleck but also uh, Bigelow for Zero Dark Thirty who, who were almost foregone conclusions get nominated who didn't, who knows? Maybe it was I one think of those where like, they, they figured, oh, oh, everyone else will get nominated Affleck, so I'm going to put in Ben Zaitings because I think he really did a really good job. And since everyone else is going to nominate Affleck, I'm going to use mine to, to nominate this weird yes, guy. It's like a game theory problem, yeah. Right. So I just think there were a lot of uh, close... I think there was a lot of close balloting in the director category. I mean, I, I can't prove that because right. they won't release the results. But, I mean, uh, I'm guessing that uh, uh, maybe five directors were really close. And, of course, mm-hmm. there's only five in that category. And like Best Picture, uh, so you can't see, but um, it could have been, you know, really close when they can't do anything about it because their rules won't allow them to. I think that's a good guess, yeah. And we've talked in the past about how if they did ever release that data, I think you guys uh, probably have aneurysms. You just uh, take a few would, weeks off work. And... Off, I'd probably take a month off work and just, just yeah. read through all that. <laughs> but I, I think that's a good guess, Mark. I think, I think if we could see those, I, I can't imagine Affleck's too far off. Yeah, I think all of them, even even Tarantino, I don't think was that far off. But um, you know, a little bit farther maybe than the other two. But uh, I just think that was a tight category, and it it worked out that way. And they say, well, why do they nominate those guys in those weird movies and and this and that? Because they act like that. They act like it's a group thing. Like people get together and say something. I don't think right. that's really what happens. But no. I mean, it could sometimes. But I don't think that in general they know. Who's going to get nominated in yeah. advance? But they might vote strategically a little bit, like Holton said, which is, oh, Affleck's got this. I'll I'll pick something fun. I'll pick, you know, Ang Lee, uh, Ben Zeitlin, etc. Yeah, I think that that Michael Haneke got in is fantastic. I mean, he deserves it. He's, you know, would more people like to see Ben Affleck in the front row than Michael Haneke in the fifth row? Sure. <laughs> I guess that's the question then that Rule was sort of asking. Like, if you have to bump someone here for Ben Affleck, well, would you? And if so, who? Yeah. Um, Boy. Well, I've only seen one, and that was Ben's Island's movie, but... Uh, right. But the direction made that movie, too, I would say. Right. Yeah, but I, I... And I haven't seen Argo, so I don't know, but he's a, he's a newcomer, so I would probably bump him, but hey... Don't ask me. I, I didn't have a choice. I, I don't know what I would have done if I did. I just uh, speaking hypothetically. So I mean, like uh, maybe it's just me, but it seems like all three of us maybe are having a little bit of trouble figuring out who would place fifth out of those five right now. Who would get bumped? Yeah, I mean Spielberg. You know, Spielberg. That's a foregone. And uh, and I, I guess some people aren't as enamored with the uh, silver linings playbook as I am, and don't kind of get why it got so many nominations. But uh, I I love that movie, and I. I think David Russell should have been nominated, and yeah, Hang Lee. I mean, that was such a, a weird project to adapt, and he pulled it off. And Hanukkah is Hanukkah, and Zeitler made this great, weird, fantastic little first movie. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. So, so you think Affleck and Bigelow are probably the biggest snubs, but you're not even sure who you'd bump for them because it's just it's packed this year. Right. I mean, and, and personally, I mean, to get on the Wes Anderson thing again, I just love Wes Anderson. I love his kingdoms, but I mean, it's, again, it's a tough, tight year. I don't know who you yeah. bump for, for anybody else, really. I mean, while I, I do feel like Affleck should be in there, but at the same time, the fact that he isn't actually makes the category much more interesting. I think. I mean, it's it's yeah. probably Spielberg, but you got to wonder if if Lincoln's not going to take Best Picture, and you know. Right. Maybe not, maybe not. And going back to Wes Anderson, which we talked about earlier, Moonrise Kingdom isn't my favorite Anderson picture, but it does seem to be most people's. Um, it seems to be getting much more acclaim uh, than his already acclaimed films normally do. So if he's not going to get a nod for Moonrise Kingdom, you kind of got to yeah. wonder if he's ever I, I think in a, I think in a lot of ways it's the most accessible movie. Mm-hmm. Right? 
if someone's never seen a Wes Anderson movie before, they saw you know ten minutes of one on TV, and like, yeah, I don't know what that is. I think if they saw this one, even though it's as quirky and as Wes Anderson as anything you've ever done, yeah. I think it's it's kind of the most relatable in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, if you don't get nominated for this, what will you get nominated for? I don't know. I mean, the, yeah, it feels like this feels like it, right? I mean, I thought that I thought that way about the Coen Brothers for years. I thought, you know, geez, if they're not going to get nominated for this, what are they going to get nominated? If they can't win for this, what are they going to? And then, you know, No Country for Old Men came along, and that was the year. So you never know. Do you think it could have uh, Mark or Holden? Do you think it could have something to do with just versatility? I mean, do they do they tend to look down a little bit on directors who have such a distinct style and don't vary from it very often? Woody Allen is a darling of the Academy forever, and he makes Woody Allen movies every single time. So, That's true. I mean, it, it depends. But in this case, they seem to think, you know. Not so much. I don't know. I, I really can't tell what, what the thing is for Wes Anderson. I don't know. But that's that's potentially a third guy who you wouldn't have mind seeing in there. Who no, would... I personally would have loved it. But we still just don't have room. I mean, it's just, that's eight guys I, th I think we're saying that could make a very good yeah. case for it. Tarantino made, I mean, that's, boy, that's, a, that's a really fun movie. <laughs> whether it's Oscar worthy, whether it's, a, who knows, but I mean, as far as, a, boy, that movie is a lot of fun. I might be a little out of step then. I thought it was a real step down from Inglorious Bastards. But oh, really? Was, I, just, thought, yeah. you know, I felt the, the opposite. I think it's better than Inglorious Bastards, but oh, wow. I'm also a huge Western fan on so that. I had me, you know, from, from the get-go. I don't know. From Giddy Up, I might have been already on that horse. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> Life of Pi, I want to talk a little bit about Life of Pi. I saw someone on Twitter say something pretty funny, which is that they wish that 1970s-era Werner Herzog had directed it because he'd actually throw a guy into a boat with a tiger and film it. <laughs> he wouldn't have used any CGI. And it would have been, it would have been a, a character played by 43 different actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> although, if was, if, although if it was Kinski and a tiger, I, I'd put odds on the tiger being Yeah, 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 give him two to one odds. The tiger, that poor tiger. You know, Several tigers were harmed in the making of this film. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's been a troubled uh, kind of development cycle for Life of Pi. I know they were talking yeah. about making it literally 12 years ago with uh, M. Night well, Shyamalan. The book was phenomenally, phenomenally successful and, yeah. and phenomenally beloved. Uh, it's, I mean, you can see why, why adapting it was a bit of a... <laughs> took a little took a little while. It's such an, an odd thing. Um, and so much of the novel, you know, obviously interior and not dialogue driven. Yeah, it's, he pulled it off. And, I mean, it's hard to say he didn't pull it off. Um, As someone who once upon a time really liked Shyamalan, I, I often wonder ruefully how his career might have gone if he'd actually made that film. Because he was basically all, it was all but done. Um, and then it, he changed his mind or there was some sort of creative difference and he went a different path and it didn't work out very well. And you got to wonder what kind of career he might have had um, if he'd sort of made that shift earlier. Yeah, I think he's probably one who could have benefited from um, doing screenplay that he didn't write. Yes, early on before kind of falling into that. Yeah. Oh, I forgot uh, one question in the Best Actor category. Uh, Skepsis93 says, uh, I'd love to know what Holden Mark think about Joaquin Phoenix's comments about the Oscars, um, how surprised they are that he managed the nomination despite them, and what effect they might have had on his and the other two actors' chances to win. Um, I, that kind of goes to what we've talked about a little bit, which is how weird and predictable and enigmatic he is. Right. Yeah, I didn't. I, I meant to mention that when I said not only was that documentary where he's the bearded uh, rap star, but also that comment. And I don't think the Academy cares so much. I don't think uh, maybe back in the day uh, when it was kind of an old, the older guard was, was a different generation, and when they were from the studio system, it was you know frowned upon to you know poo-poo the Oscars. I don't think anyone really cares. I mean, there've been people who've won the Oscar who have kind of run it down a little bit as they're accepting it. So I, I don't think that affected it. I think, as we said, it's just such a weird film. 
as all Paul Thomas Anderson movies are. I think if anything hurts its chances, it's just it's, it is what it is. Um, I wanted to move on to Best Animated Film real quick before we got to Best Picture and any of the technical categories you guys might have special opinions about. For Best Animated Film, um, there's not a whole lot to say this year. Normally, we just give it to whatever Pixar film is showing up, um, unless some DreamWorks film you know, knocks our socks off or if they're putting out another Cars movie. Um, and I kind of feel like that's kind of the case this year. I don't know um, how many of you, uh, how many each of, uh, how many of the films each of you saw, but this is, what's, what makes this category interesting to me is that it, there's a really good chance that a large percentage of the viewers and the voters have seen all of them because they're yeah. you know, easy and accessible. Right. And, and that's particularly true this year because while we normally have some sort of audacious animated foreign, foreign film, um, A Cat in Paris or Chico and Rita right. last year, The Illusionist right. 2010, nothing like that this year. No. It's all stuff you'd find at Blockbuster. Right. And that's fine, you know, they're, they're all fine movies, but it kind of leaves it wide open, I think, especially since Brave was a very troubled production that went on for something like six years and, at least in my opinion, was not that good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I mean, I know a lot of people have that opinion. I liked Brave fine, but it's it's not as good as Finding Nemo and some of the the very best Pixar stuff. But I didn't have a problem with it. I, I enjoyed it and laughed. But yeah, I mean, that that perception that it's not it's not the best Pixar stuff. I mean, it's it's open probably. Yeah, I think uh, maybe I don't think it's so much that it's bad. I think it's more that it's not what we tend to expect. It's a lot of physical comedy, very broad. I mean, I would watch Brave. I would watch Brave three times in a row before I'd watch any of them. Eat the car, Cars movie, but people love those Cars movies. I, I don't know what to say. Well, I think the thing that struck me is it felt like a DreamWorks movie. Just the 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 manner of comedy, the more more pop culturey, more you know physical. People getting bonked on the head. You know, maybe it's just me, but um, you know, that's a different kind of comedy than I, I've come to expect. Um, I understand Wreck-It Ralph has a lot of diehard fans. Um, a lot of the Nintendo generation has come of age, but I, I think it would, I think it's going to be an interesting wide open category. You look at the betting odds, and there's really no big favorite. I do know that the uh, the more serious film critics who are actually weighing in on this at all seem to pretty overwhelmingly prefer Frankenweenie, which I hear is a lot better than the trailer would lead you to believe. Yeah, that's why I, I haven't actually seen that one, so I I, I can't speak to that. But um, yeah. I, I think it's it's relatively open. Yeah, and I like the category in general because, like we talked about before, it actually contracts some years. You know, right. if there's if there's a, if there's only three, I think there's a minimum of three. I think you have to have right. at least three, but that's about it. Um, best foreign language film is definitely worth talking about, at least in the abstract. Um, we kind of have this problem from time to time where an animated film or a foreign language film will be nominated for Best Picture, yeah. which robs their uh, little subcategory of all its drama. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I don't know if there's any been ever, ever been any exception. I don't see how mathematically there even could be. So it's a more congratulations. You already won it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If more doesn't win, it'll be a huge shock. Uh, do you guys have any opinions about any of the technical categories? I know we have. Uh, I should note that they've changed the name of one of them. Um, from best makeup to best makeup and hairstyling. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, this is what this is what uh, counts as uh, exciting reform uh, in the Oscars, I guess. Ooh, hairstyling, which is you know, I guess that matters because The Hobbit is nominated, and there's there's so many permed wigs in that movie. My God, um, and I understand it's the favorite too, for that matter. Um, that's probably about it, though. I, I don't. I assume you guys have no uh, strongly held opinions about sound editing or mixing. No. No. Those are always, those are always Except for I know who's going to win, but I don't want to tell everybody else in it because then they'll pick that. that uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, the very exciting topic of whether or not they're going to split the ballots on editing and mixing again. That was another category that changed its name before because it was best sound for so long, but right. now it's sound mixing to differentiate it from sound editing, which it doesn't really differentiate it, but it, it, it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did, either of you have any idea what the distinction is there? No. No, nobody the does. sound. The sound editing is sound effects. 
So it's the editing in of the sound effects right. while the sound is overall sound of the picture. That's why uh, the musical kind of has a... Don, I'm giving it away. The musical kind of has an <laughs> advantage in the best sound category, well, that uh, was, and this which is now is, sound uh, yeah. mixing. So. And we haven't talked about Lena yet because um, you know, Hathaway was a foregone conclusion and we didn't talk about Jackman. But, I mean, that was an interesting way to do it, whether it worked fully or certainly for Russell Crowe, they should have done something different. But the fact that they filmed the, the singing live on set uh, had never really been done before in the major musical. So that was interesting, and probably that kind of innovation and, um, and chance will probably win that award. I would say. Yeah, I'd give Tom Hooper a lot of credit for that. And there we go. There's maybe director number nine who could have made it. Uh, he yeah, was... I mean, I think I, like a lot of people, were disappointed in how Lena turned out, and a lot of it was probably can be pointed at the director, so I'm not shocked that he got snubbed, although he did, he has won before, so it's, it was unusual that he had this huge, big movie and... Uh, Another period it, drama. As we said, it was a very, very, very tight year for Best Director. I mean, I think it's great that the the big snubs we're talking about this year are not, you know, an actor, but it's director. To me, as a, as a movie fan, I think that's great. So, to sum up, we're pretty sure we have an idea of the difference between editing and mixing, but we're not positive, and maybe it's kind of like saying Best Cinematography and Best Focusing of the Lens, or something like that. It's the kind yeah. of thing a, a sound guy probably has a very strong opinion about the difference between these two things, but to everyone else, it's a little esoteric. Probably. Yeah, but they get to vote for it. So there you go. A bunch of people, yeah, with no clue, get to vote for an esoteric category. So you know it's got to be right. Yeah, actually, which categories are they? I know, Holden, you're, you're pretty up on this, certainly more than I am. Um, there are certain rules about who can nominate and who can vote for each category. Um, I, I'm sure only sound guys nominate uh, yeah. sound awards. But, but then are th when the ballot comes, the only thing you can't vote for are the documentary and short subjects, unless you've... Um... And they changed the documentary this year. Oh, they did change it. They're good for them. You don't have to go to the screenings. You don't even have to have seen them. And they're, what they're going to do is they're going to—they are sending out screeners for all the documentaries. Right. That's great. That that should help. That's uh, different. So. So now you literally can vote for the, not not for nominations, but for the actual winners. Anyone can vote for anything. That's why they thought maybe a more popular, or at least the ones that seem more popular the mainstream uh, might have a better chance now instead of, uh, you know, the one that uh, 12 people saw. Right. Okay, so on to the big one, Best Picture. Uh, we have a question here from Honey Kid. Uh, he says, even with a cast of proper actors, an Oscar-winning director, and it being almost universally proclaimed as the best Bond film ever, and a genuinely good film, Skyfall still wasn't nominated for Best Picture, despite there now being 10 nominations available. Is there any chance of a Bond film ever being nominated? And that's a pretty good question. I was wondering the same thing. This feels, again, like I said about Wes Anderson, where if this doesn't get it, can anything? Or are they pretty much just writing it off? Yeah, I think this one has, you know, probably good shot. If, you know, again, if we ever got to see how close things got, it was probably... You know, in the top fifteen, mm -hmm. why it didn't make the the, the nine? Who knows? Um, it might. Well, I mean, we talked before about how they um they kind of snub comedies a little bit. It's sort of an unwritten rule that very few comedies get any real consideration, and this, certainly that's less true, but somewhat true of action films too. Straight yeah, up action yeah. films. It's yeah, just a lower it's, form it's of it's art. Serious and ponderous, and has all those great actors, and I mean, so it it definitely probably came closer than any other Bond movie to getting nominated. Why it if this one didn't? Well, anything? Who? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? But it, it certainly makes me, as a Bond, as a Bond fan, I, I certainly, I, I certainly feel like, okay, th that's all I need to know. You guys are just, it's not going to happen. Is Skyfall nominated for BAFTAs? Because uh, they're being handed out uh, today. Okay, I've got the BAFTA list in front of me. Uh, not not nominated for best film, but it was nominated for outstanding British film. Yeah. Okay. But then again, so was Seven Psychopaths. Okay, so 
so it Skyfall sounds like probably, Skyfall almost probably surely will win for uh, best song for the Adele song. So, but we'll we might some. we might have seen the award ceiling of a Bond right. film, and they, and they are doing a, as you probably heard a tribute to James Bond for the 50th anniversary, and I think they're going to have all the Bonds there and a bunch of the Bond girls. And, yeah, that's why they thought it would it would probably have a good chance to get it. For the other nominees in Best Picture, I know we've said in years past that you know usually you can look at the five uh, nominees for director. And those are the quote-unquote real Best Picture nominees, the ones who probably would have been nominated, even if they kept the old rules. But with Affleck missing, that's probably not true, is it? Yeah, this is, I mean, this could be another historical thing, because, I mean, uh, there's only been a few movies that have won um, Best Picture without having the director even nominated. And most of those were in the early days, and the most recent one was Driving Miss Daisy. And it could happen for Argo. Argo could win Best Picture, and Affleck's not even nominated. So that would be unusual. Yeah, and it sounds like more than just could, I and mean, it sounds like it's it's kind of pulling away here. This is we're seeing this a lot. Uh, it feels like a lot in the last few years, where you'll have an initial favorite, and then the actual voting will start, and it'll completely flip. Um, we had this with a uh, let's see, I think the the artist led pretty much wire to wire, if I remember correctly. It was pretty much the favorite the whole time, but the Social Network was a huge early favorite, and the King's Speech started actually winning the awards when they came out, and I think Up in the Air was the early favorite before Hurt Locker won. Um, and I know before that, I think Slumdog Millionaire and No Country for Old Men were both pretty heavily favored, and that seems to be the way it used to be, is that there weren't usually so many shocks along the way, but, you know, a few of the, la a few of the last few years, um, we've seen sort of just a flip, you know, where Lincoln was the early favorite completely. And once they actually started voting, it's Argo. Yeah, I don't. Every know. year is different; it has its own um, yeah. different thing. But yes, I think you're right. I mean, that was the perception anyway. Yeah, the thing is, you never really know. You, you know. Lincoln had the most nominations and all that, but it doesn't always translate into who's going to win. And Argo just seems to win everything. Yeah, and Lincoln is just total Oscar bait in every sense of the word. And I've often wondered if maybe that can backfire on a film when it just seems too tailor-made for the Oscars, you know, a big historical drama. I think that happened with um, um, Hyde Park and Hudson. I mean, well, that was like, boy, that's that's mm -hmm. going to get 14 Oscar nominations, and it got you know, nothing. Yeah, I mean, maybe it feels a little condescending, or maybe it's the game theory problem you mentioned earlier where a lot of other people just sort of assume, you know, oh, such and such is going to win. I might as well vote for something I just liked more on a personal level because I, I realize I can't extrapolate my experience to everyone else, but this feels like the kind of scenario where, well, Lincoln might be a better film, but I enjoyed Argo more. It was it was more entertaining. I, it, it's somewhat, it, you know, it's not maybe exactly about the film industry, but it, 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 it does have the film industry in it. Um, no, I mean, look, I mean, part of Argo's appeal in Hollywood is definitely that a movie maker is one of the heroes of the movie. <laughs> help save lives. I mean, that's there's that's a pretty easy correlation to see. It's kind of patting yourself on the back and like, oh boy, look what that guy did. And and it, it, handled, it handled it well. I was I was very impressed. I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't seen it, but I, I like the the parallel between uh, theater and politics as both being sort of two sides of the same coin, even though one has so much more consequence than the other uh, on the surface. Um, and someone else pointed out, and I thought this was a really good observation, that you know the three biggest favorites by far, Argo, Lincoln, and Zero Dark Thirty, are all about re-examining history, mm -hmm. one way or another. That seems to kind of be a bit of a theme this year. And those are really the only three that seem to have a chance to win. Yeah, I'm, I, I know you guys are going to laugh at me, but I'm really pulling for Silver Linings Playbook. <laughs> you just can't help yourself, man. You keep talking about it. And if it, uh, it's one of those movies, I think, after you see it, it's it's hard not to fall in love with it. And it's one of those things, I think, if enough of the voters screened it. Um, well, how about this? How about this? You're clearly very enamored with it. I haven't seen it. I don't know if Mark has. And uh, let me tell you why I didn't see it. I didn't see it because the trailer, and I'm starting to suspect the trailer, made it look 
much worse than it is. It looked like, oh, some sort of little, you know, comeback story, maybe a little sports movie-ish, a little cheesy. I remember seeing it and thinking, you know, big misstep for Jennifer Lawrence. And then the reviews start coming out and everyone says it's fantastic. So I kind of wonder if the marketing has done it a bit, a bit of a disservice. So if you had to kind of sell it, like, what do you think people are missing about this movie? Is it just the performances? No. Well, for one thing, it's very, it's, there's only been um, 14 movies, I think. I think this is the 14th one in the history of all the Oscars that have had um, all had acting nominations in all four of the categories, and it's one of them. So that's pretty interesting historically. And it's also it's it's the most recent. I think Million Dollar Baby was the last one that had um, nominations in the Big Five, and this is this has got it. So it's got some of that historical stuff on its side, whether it's got enough people watching it and falling in love with it like I did to push it over the top of, and maybe be one of those game things where Argo and Lincoln steal enough votes and Civil Linings Playbook creeps in. I don't know. I mean, it would be a surprise, obviously. It would, it would be a surprise if Civil Linings Playbook won, but it would be a happy, really happy surprise for me. Um, hey, hold on. It, it's, it's very, it's, it's a hard movie to sell. I mean, I understand why you kind of had that reaction to it. It's a hard movie to sell. Basically, it takes a look at mental illness, not in kind of a deep way as one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but very seriously and very interestingly examines some real mental illness stuff. And it also has a romantic comedy aspect that is not on par with the best romantic comedies ever made, but it's done very, very well. And uh, it meshes the two together pretty seamlessly. And it's really a triumphant movie in a lot of ways, even though it kind of has a happy ending that in a lot of ways seems like maybe it'd be hokey and you wouldn't buy it. I bought into it completely. I don't know if that was just the mood. I mean, I've already seen the movie four times and I'd probably go back and see it a fifth time. It just, it really captures a lot, I think, and juggles a lot of balls, and I think it did it really well. But all that is hard to sell in a 30-second commercial or two-minute trailer. You probably answered my question uh, in between the lines there. I was going to ask you if you cried. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. You're talking mostly about the performances, though. That seems to be the big selling point. And it kind of reminded me of The Fighter, where a lot of people, you know, it got, a, it got a Best Picture nomination, but I didn't hear that many people saying it was a great film. It was just chocked full of these performances and got, like, three different nominations. And I wonder if it's kind of the film that, that that's the foundation of it, is it's the performances. It might be... Fighter was also, Fighter was also David R. Russell. But um, I, I don't know. I think it just, I think it really clicks and works. And if you see it, it's hard not to fall in love with that movie. So that's why I'm kind of rooting for it. And that was how I felt about The Artist last year. And I didn't know if enough people were going to see it, even though it has, you know, Monty Khan and how it was prestige. I was like, boy, if people see that movie, it's hard not to love that movie. And enough of them did see it or voted for it anyway. Um, and, and so I'm really rooting for Silver Linings Playbook. I'd be a huge long shot and a really big upset if it won. It's probably going to be Argo or Lincoln. It's, it's got to be one of those two, but boy, it'd be great. Yeah. We already <laughs> talked about Beasts of the Southern Wild. Beasts of the Southern Wild, probably just a, hey, I'm, we're glad to be here kind of nomination. You know, it's going to launch probably several careers. Um, kind of reminded me a little Miss Sunshine a little bit in that sense, just sort of a, uh, just sort of a little, hey, I can't believe this was so good. You know, I was expecting it to be all right and it was much better and, I gotta be honest, I, I feel like it's one of those movies where it kind of gets by because it creates such a high degree of difficulty for itself. And then mm -hmm. it's sort of a just, hey, look what movies can do. You know, look at this really simple story. Look what we can make you feel with so little on the surface, so little um, on paper, really. Um, and, well, frankly, and just gorgeous to look at. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad, like you guys, I think I'm just glad it's here. I wouldn't want it to win. I feel like that'd be a, a bridge too far. But, you know, these are the kind of films you should get if you're going to have, you know, maybe you shouldn't have more than five nominees, but if you're going to, you should at least use it uh, occasionally to highlight films like this. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this last year, too, where 
this isn't really just, let's, let's be honest, it's not just here are the best films, here are the most impressive films. It'd be kind of foolish to deny that this is a tool. This is something used to highlight things, to bring attention to newcomers, uh, to kind of make a statement, to help them out. And, you know, maybe it isn't one of the best nine films of the year, but it still kind of makes sense that it's there. But it really comes down to what you think the Oscars are for, right? Are they really for posterity? Are they really for uh, being a definitive record of the best things each year? Or are they also about, you know, what these people might do going forward? Because the people who made Beasts of the Southern Wild are going to benefit from it a lot more, you know, than a lot of the other people that might have been nominated. Tom Hooper, you know, didn't need another directorial nomination to keep making historical epics, for example. Right. And speaking of Tom Hooper, um, you already mentioned that you were a little disappointed with Les Mis. Um, this is kind of just what he does now, right? I mean, he directed John Adams. He did a miniseries about Queen Elizabeth. He did The King's Speech, and now he does this. Um, it's kind of like the Mark Bowl thing again. I'm very impressed, but can you do anything else? Yeah. Um, we already mentioned Zero Dark Thirty. Um, not really sure if the controversy hurts its chances or not, but I guess if, if, if we are going to have a shocker outside of Lincoln or Argo, that's probably it, you think? Yeah, I mean, well, I've already said I think it's going to be Silver Linings Playbook if there's a sneaker, but I don't, I don't <laughs> think Zero Dark Thirty is really in the mix. I really don't. I think, no. I mean, I love the movie. I think they did a really good job with it, but I, I don't see it being Best Picture. So you're pulling for Silver Linings Playbook. That's what you want. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned that, but it's true. Yeah. Now, is that is? Do you actually think it was the best film of the year, or is it just sort of you just love to be surprised and you you don't really care if it, if the best film gets it every year? It's just something that. Well, was... I mean, best film is hard to define. I mean, Moonrise Kingdom, Moonrise Kingdom was probably my favorite movie of the year. I mean, I put that over Silver Linings Playbook, but yeah, I mean, I I like Silver Linings Playbook more than Argo and Lincoln, just personally. I think it's that good a movie. Well, does does it bug either of you guys? Let's uh, does it bug either of you guys when a film wins for Best Picture that maybe you don't enjoy as much, but it's more it's more technically impressive. And I'll, I'll use a TV analogy real quick. When people ask me what the best TV show of all time is, I tell them it's The Wire. But I don't... That's not the most enjoyable show. It's not my favorite right. show. It's, it's a very different question. And this is something people argue about absolutely every year, so we might as well bring it up. This is why comedies don't do well in general, because they, they're not important enough. Right. I mean, clearly they're honoring the craft, and they've decided that in the craft, and in case you can't tell, the T and the C are capitalized... Uh, in the craft, certain emotions are harder to generate and more technically impressive to generate, uh, generate uh, like drama. They don't think much of horror or or laughter, for that matter. Where do you come down on that? I mean, is it, is it just case by case? Do you tend to prefer that they nominate the films that are most technically impressive, or do you? No. Just... Well, if you're talking about best film, no, I don't. It, 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 they'll get their nominations in the all the technical categories. That's what they're there for. But that's not to me uh, best film. Is whatever you whatever you use to justify saying a film is worthy of of being the best or one of the five best or nine or ten best, whatever you use because everybody's going to use something different, whether it's entertainment or the way it makes you feel, or the overall uh, quality of the movie. Even though I'm using quality not in a technical sense, right. more uh, yeah, more aesthetics or something. You can decide that. I mean, it's it's fair for everybody to, to have different feelings. I mean, it would be really boring if we were all the same. But uh, so, I mean, I, I usually go for a combination of the three, right. and I don't break them up into percentages because I'm not a robot. I just it, it just is is the way it is, and when it's done, I tell you what I think. But in general, that's that's how I do it. Uh, but I'm kind of weird. To me, this year, Lincoln is the pick that's more like like The Last Emperor. It's a great, big, sweeping movie, well done, well made, but how many people, you know, pop in The Last Emperor to watch on a Saturday night? Because he has yeah, the, the Last Emperor won, nine, won all of its nominations, wasn't it? Yeah. All, all of it. Picture, but I don't think, you know, I don't think, think too many people love it now. 
But on they the other hand, forget like, about Arabia, it. I know people don't like that. I mean, there are some people who don't like it. would regard it just as boring as The Last Emperor, but I would, I would watch Lawrence of Arabia every day if I could. So who's to say? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of these that you think, like like, like last year with the, the social network, I know a lot of people said, look, you know, you're going to look silly in 50 years, all of you. Um, but again, like you well, say... That was, it's, that was a couple years ago. Uh, uh, the two years ago. Yeah. Right, I'm sorry, two years ago, yeah. And it's really just not clear. I mean, this kind of reminds me of the, the most valuable player debates we have every year in baseball, where right. people are just not voting with the same criteria. Because right. the criteria listed is kind of ambiguous, so some people are voting for posterity. Some people are trying to think what's gonna what's gonna embarrass us if we don't vote for it. You know, twenty years from now, you, we've all heard stories about you know some one classic film or another who wasn't even nominated and it looks ridiculous now. And then some people probably just think, ah, oh, I saw this and I liked it, and that's enough for me. And I guess there's no right way to do it, but the result is really schizophrenic sometimes. Yeah. But but I guess that's what makes it exciting too. That's what makes it you know the Oscars and anytime yeah anytime there's a vote is it's going to be a little bit unpredictable. I'm just getting a little upset that it's getting more and more predictable. You think it's getting too predictable? Yeah, lately. Well, that actually goes back to the whole award season thing. I mean, the Oscars are last, and that's probably the biggest problem. As as because uh, a lot of the people who vote for the other awards vote for this, and so there's a lot less. Uh, I mean, I guess the, the really unpredictable part is when the nominations maybe are first announced before any other uh, awards have been handed out. That's when it mm-hmm. feels like that's when it feels like a free for all. But by the time we get to the Oscars, it's it's much less so. I'm sure they'll find a way to keep us interested, uh, one way or the other, even if they have to fiddle with these categories. Hopefully, it sounds like their one attempt at that over the last few years, expanding the best picture category. Uh, neither of you are too enamored with, though. Yeah, it's just, it's mostly just pointless to me. Uh, now, just uh, now that we've gone through pretty much all the major categories, um, are there any other snubs that stand out to you guys? We talked about a few of them already. We went, we talked about director quite a bit because that's right. the, the most obvious category for snubs. But what others, uh, what other snubs stand out this year? Well, there weren't any kind of like you know, Albert Brooks last year. There, there didn't seem to be anything on the acting side that were that kind of like, wow, how did that not get nominated? But you know, there were lots of I had lots of favorite performances and things that you look at it and probably on paper and like, oh boy, how did that not get nominated? But um, and it was kind of no. I, I like I said, I think it's interesting that the uh, the debate this year is about Ben Affleck and Catherine Bigelow and not about an actor. I think that's cool. <laughs> I think that's good for movies. As a movie gig, I think that's interesting that you know people who don't even because a lot of people who are more casual moviegoers couldn't name these three directors unless they're also happen to be an actor. I mean, they they go to movies and they might know the brand name of Spielberg and they know what that is, but if you ask them who directed that movie they saw last week, they would have no idea. And so that their people are talking about their director category is really cool to me. You think it shows a little more sophistication? I think so. It's just it's just and it was just that kind of year. There weren't any kind of performances that were just like jaw-dropping that they weren't nominated. I had a little false alarm on that front. I was, uh, because I entered these things into the database the same morning of to try to get people, you know, get the picks pool up and everything. Right. I was I was a- adding them almost in real time or shortly after they'd gone up. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but a couple major news sources, uh, Yahoo News, for example, had them wrong. And I'd entered them wrong as a result. For example, um, I uh, saw they had John Hawks listed as uh, oh, the really? best actor for the sessions yeah and i thought oh that's interesting and then i went through the list and i saw joaquin phoenix wasn't on there that's the one they bumped incorrectly ah. and i had a 20-minute conversation with someone about the snub before i realized that every right. other source had it correct and i guess he I, I guess you can make a case for him as a snub then too because Don was, was, i mean he's always good he's just one of those great actors and uh and probably a name people don't no, but it's going to be seen. I got oh that guy, and he's he was good. And uh, uh, Jean-Louis Trinjon from Amour. I mean, his co-star got nominated. He could have been nominated. He's been you know an actor forever. Also, Europeans some of Bertolucci and Chabrol and Truffaut and everybody. He was a little bit of a snub that you know she was nominated and he wasn't, but he wouldn't have won anyway. So. <laughs> 
Um, and Bill Murray, you know, you got to start wondering, you know, what does he have to do? Um, he goes in kind of an Oscar bait movie and plays <laughs> an historical figure. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm actually surprised at how little I heard about that. I remember hearing he was going to play FDR, and then I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'm sure I'll hear more about that later, and then I just didn't. Right, the movie was, you know, not great, but to me it was, you know, no worse than The King's Speech, which I, you know, I liked it better than The King's Speech, frankly. The King's Speech was just for whatever, at that time, you know, rose to the top, but, uh, eh, who knows. You think you think if it's if it's Oscar bait, it might be it shouldn't win, but it should catch a little something. Yeah, I mean that was I mean that was one that they put together thinking this will get a truckload of Oscar nominations, and it got nothing. And it would have it would have really capped off his his the remarkable second half of his career, I think, if he yeah, managed but, it. Yeah, I mean he'll keep he'll keep going. He's he's still he's still Bill fucking Murray. I I still yeah Bill Murray's gonna be all right one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. Um, anything else, guys? Any other snubs stand out? Or it sounds like you're just saying it's just not that kind of year. There isn't anything that, that there were no forces of nature uh, who didn't get it. Yeah, I mean, someone like uh, Kira Knightley, if Anna Karenina had had kind of Anna Karenina is one of those movies that look like another one like that. But that's yeah. awesome. and, costume uh, drama fatigue, man. It's yeah, just, and that's I mean, I would bet for that one to win best costume. I mean, it's just that type of production, and that's that's. Yeah, that's, I Sarah told me how it was a pretty original presentation. Yeah, as yeah, the use of indoor and outdoor sets and uh, and even some of the she said something about even some of the prop people you can see them during some of the movie uh the beginning of the movie anyway doing yeah. things and having costumes on and all this kind of thing moving things around i don't know if people even noticed it but i haven't seen it so you know uh, my snub is me because it's, they haven't put the movies out for me to see yes the viewers have been snubbed put them out a, little, a few months earlier we can all watch them and we'll watch the oscars more but I like what you say about Anna Karenina. You you kind of said this earlier, Mark, but, you know, I feel like Anna Karenina is the kind of movie that would have been nominated for Best Picture 10 years ago. But more and more, they're just saying, look, if these films are technically impressive, then give them technical awards. That's what it's for. Well, yeah, it's it's it depends like, on the movie. It's like the, the 15th major version of Anna Karenina. Has been well, done yeah, that too. I kind of just wonder if, okay, maybe they're, they're starting to relegate to the technical awards more because that's really what makes those movies great a little bit. It's the way they transport you to another place. And that's very impressive, but that's not. Ex- but we have categories for that sort of thing, you know. And costume design is one of them. And then supporting actress, you know, that, that was a foregone conclusion for Anne Hathaway this year. But there were some other, you know, previous nominees and winners that that kind of got left out. Um, uh, Maggie Smith for Best Exotic Marigold Hotel or anything else she was in, you know, could have easily snuck in there. And uh, Sherlyn McLean and Bernie. Bernie kind of was a weird little movie uh, that nobody saw, but. Jack Black and Shirley McLean were both great in that, um, but not enough people saw it for Academy consideration. I guess Nicole Kidman, you know, got some very good notices and kind of weird awards for uh, The Paperboy, but um, didn't catch on. I thought Susan Sarandon was, was great, and uh, another little movie that I liked, that, you know, probably not Oscar caliber, but um, Jeff Who Lives at Home was a movie I saw that I just, I really liked that movie a lot. And Susan Sarandon was great and did her best work in a long time. Um, but didn't make the cut. Um, well, I, I notice how many of the actresses you mentioned are, are older actresses, and I guess that's yeah. kind of what happens, is that maybe there aren't many leading roles for actresses, but there's a whole lot of good supporting actress roles right. for going them. Back to, going back to Skyfall, you know, this was, uh, you know, Judy Dench has won before, been nominated, and uh, not to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but I mean, there's, you know, what she does with that character in there and what happens to the character. I mean, it was, this was kind of the Bond movie that could have gotten an actress nomination for a supporting actress, and... Uh, didn't happen. And Best Actress, Rachel Weisz, was, was amazing in the Deep Blue Sea, the Terrence Davies movie. But, you know, nobody saw that movie. But, I mean, nobody saw, nobody saw the Naomi Watson one either. So you, you, sometimes those sneak through anyway. 
Uh, Michelle Williams was has been nominated a bunch already. She was great in Take It to Swaltz, but uh, yeah, I don't think enough people saw it. Yeah, if we're going to have another Meryl Streep ever, it'll probably be her. Yeah, I mean, she's already got a bunch of nominations, and uh, she's still very young and should keep going, and she picks very interesting uh, stuff, and she should be around for a long time. Like you say, though, it just doesn't seem to matter whether or not... I mean, there's certain films that no one's seen, and it's easy to imagine that's why they weren't nominated, and then you get something like Naomi Watts and The Impossible, and it is, and it, there's a degree to which we might have to step back and realize we're just reading chicken entrails over here. Right. Well, thank you, Holden, and thank you, Mark. I'm, yep. I'm sure I'll be inviting you guys back next year, too, if you'll have it. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Wow them in the end. You got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wow them in the end. And you've got a hit.